Everybody, how are you doing on this July 16th, 2018? I'm doing pretty well. Just got back into the city. I was in New Jersey this weekend, down the shore. Down the shore, as they say. We were in Spring Lake in Belmont, New Jersey. It was really nice. We were at the beach Saturday. Really felt like you're out of the city. Only about an hour away and change, so pretty doable. I'm going to go back there for my birthday. Um, That's coming up next month, just FYI. Anyway, um, it's interesting about the Jersey Shore compared to some of the other beach areas in the tri-state area, like Long Island, is like, it's such a distinct culture like, the Jersey Shore just has generation, generation of everybody almost in New Jersey going there. But everyone kind of, like, picks their own place. You know, whether it's uh, Long Beach Island or Lavalette, Seaside Heights, Belmar, um, Wildwood, Cape May, if you want to go to the bottom. Um, everyone kind of just has their spot that they generally stick to and they're there all summer. Uh, also, Long Branch, Mantle There's all kinds of places. But everyone goes there. But every town or almost every town ha- has such a unique flavor to it. And they're all kind of like butting up against each other. So Spring Lake tries to keep the riffraff, as they say, the weekenders, people from other places out. So... They do things like you cannot, sorry, I just dropped my phone. You can't eat or drink on the beach, but you can walk to Belmar, which is less than a mile away. It's like right, if you just walk north on the beach, you hit Belmar. And that's like a party town, um, a little Jersey Shore-ish. Jersey Shore, by the way, the MTV show, A, most of those people on the show are not from New Jersey. I think only one person was from New Jersey. On that entire show. And B, it's in Seaside Heights, i.e. Sleaside Heights. Um, and that's kind of its own deal. But Belmar, where I was, there's like a hint of that because there's some kind of like nightclub lounge places on the beach, like DJs, D apostrophe J-A-I-S. Um, that place is kind of like a historic Jersey Shore clubby bar restaurant type of place but like with like a nightclub type of deal built inside it gets a little guido a little bro-y but um nothing compared to seaside heights and nothing you don't see a bunch of like roided up situations walking around and ronnie's slapping girls and shit i didn't see any of that there are fights though i so i hear um we'll see i'm staying overnight next month and uh 
keep you guys posted if I see any any bro fights. I went to Rutgers University though, so that was I saw more than enough of those in my lifetime as is. Um not too much going on otherwise. Uh the weather in New York I've still not recovered yet from being at the beach. It's hot, muggy in the nineties. I got almost no sleep last night. It was so humid and hot, even with the air on. I just could not get comfortable at all. It is sticky. It's gross. It's entering that part of summer in New York. If you live in New York, you know where it's just... Even if you like summer, even if you love the heat, like I love the heat. Give me like a dry 100 degrees any day. I'll be happy with that. But like a humid 90 whatever with like the black top and all the buildings on you and the sun pounding down and it's just like sticky and you wake up sweat it's just gross um i'm trying to get out of here on the weekends as much as possible if i can swing it but it's kind of entering those dog days of summer here and it's i'm sweating right now i've literally been home for about mm, 25 minutes and because i don't want the ac on when i'm recording these things you know i don't i don't want it to be too loud because if you hear now, you already have stuff like garbage trucks going down the block on the reg. You got fire trucks and ambulances and shit because I'm right by a major road. So I try to keep the sound down as much as possible so I don't have the fan on, I don't have the AC on, and I basically make these things a test of my of test of my stamina at this point. It's almost like a sauna. But luckily I like the heat, so I can stick with it for an hour, 45 minutes, whatever. So this episode is usually we talk about tech and culture. This is going to be a cultural episode per se, but we're talking World Cup. I already talked about World Cup at the very beginning of the World Cup, but now the World Cup's over. France won that thing, and I figured it'd be good to do kind of like a roundup episode. Um... But I also want to focus on the U.S., how they didn't qualify, why they didn't qualify. And I'm going to talk about... I've, I listened to a, a decent amount of soccer podcasts, ESPN coverage with analysts, Fox Sports analysts, etc. And like everyone has their own opinions on why the U.S. didn't qualify, why the U.S., despite having you know, 350 million people or whatever it is, can't even beat teams like Trinidad when it counts, and why tiny countries like Croatia, who is the finalist, Croatia is basically the size of Long Island in terms of population. It's like four million people, or like Brooklyn. Um, why they were able to go to the finals, and people argue all kinds of angles and how being a small country is to your benefit because everyone. And your state's on the same page, and yada, 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 and it's easier to scout and create an academy and the whole nine. But I'm going to give my take on it. I think it is mostly a culture problem. I think a lot of the development stuff is true, but the bigger issue is a culture problem. Um, I'm going to get into that, but first I'm going to give my recap on the event in general. I mean, I love rooting for the U.S. I'd be lying to you if I told you I was some, like, hardcore soccer hooligan but I do follow the sport I do have my teams on the club level I'm really an Arsenal fan um, 
I'm a bad American because I really just can't. I've tried so hard to get into MLS and I can't do it, and that's part of the culture problem. But really, it's just the quality. It's it's tough because if you follow the top club teams in Europe and actually watch Premier League or La Liga or League One. For those who don't know, Premier League is the biggest league in England. La Liga's um, biggest league in Spain. And then there's Bundesliga, which is the biggest league in Germany. There's Serie A, biggest league in Italy. And um, League One, which is, I'm probably saying that wrong, but it's basically whatever the French word is for league and then one. And that's in France. And those, I would say, are the five biggest soccer club leagues. Uh, in the world and those are the games that get the most exposure in the u.s unless you watch like telemundo or something or you watch mexican leagues um and when you watch those games particularly premier league and la liga and high level bundesliga and Serie, you see just a certain level of quality and then when you watch the mls you see another level of quality it's kind of like watching the nfl and then watching the CFL, the Canadian League, and it's it's just hard. Like it, it's the same sport, um, mostly the same rules and regulations. CFL, a little different, bigger field, but uh, overall it's the same game. And you can get into it on a casual level. Like it's not totally like awful or anything like that. But it's just the quality, the speed, the acceleration, the understanding of the game, the cuts. Overall, just skill and stress, it's just not the same level at all. And it's really hard, particularly as American, because Americans are spoiled. Um, You know, we're used to the NBA, we're used to the NFL. Basketball and American football are basically fueled by American club leagues, or pro leagues, as they say here. Baseball, MLB, same way. Even though the MLB is really more of an international league with the Caribbean influence and whatnot. You know, still American league. So we're used to the best on the pro club level and soccer is where we drastically fall short and it's just hard to try to watch something that you know is an inferior product. College football aside and that also is a cultural thing. But I'll get all into that later. I'll talk a little bit about the final France won. Croatia lost. I was rooting for Croatia, I guess. I was and I was a little indifferent. I was kind of hoping for Belgium to win just because, like, I don't know, it would be cool for a country mostly known in the United States for their chocolate and beer to win the World Cup. And I like their I like their away uniforms, those yellow ones. Those are, actually, I'm going to do this now. Talk about the best World Cup uniforms. I'm going to go with my, mm, I guess, top five. Top five World Cup uniforms since I talk a lot about street fashion and all that. And I've been a soccer jersey fan since I was seven or eight years old. When I was a kid, my dad would go on business trips and he would get me soccer jerseys. And I'd be like, oh, awesome, even though I had no idea what any of these teams were. But I'd wear them because I wanted to be cool and wear something different. And I got a lot of compliments, actually. I remember, see, this is why I, I have hope for soccer in the United States. Even when I was a little kid, I was eight years old, and I went to school, and I was in, like, a, I was wearing, like, a Dutch national team jersey, like the orange ones, 
you know, I would get compliments from people and they wouldn't even know what it is. They just thought it was cool. Um, and I just collected soccer jerseys and wore them all throughout my adolescence, my childhood. Um, I had, I had a Ronaldo, OG fat Ronaldo, not Cristiano Ronaldo, Brazilian fat Ronaldo. I had an Inter Milan jersey, Inter Milan's a club in Italy. I had his jersey. I had the Dutch national team jersey. I had an old school Arsenal jersey, like 1997. Um, I had a, I think I had a France shirt that was like a jersey. Man, what else did I have? I can't remember what else, but I definitely had those. And one of my favorite parts about the World Cup every year is like seeing what different types of jerseys them teams be wearing. Know what I mean? And that's kind of one thing that's lacking with the U.S. not being there is the U.S. always does a big jersey release every year they're in the World Cup. And obviously, they, the ones they had this year are actually kind of cool, kind of funky, very uh, non-traditional compared to some of their more recent kits. But uh, anyway, that is water under the bridge, as they say. So top five. Well, I did an episode about number one so i'm not even i'm gonna go one to five just because like one should be obvious the nigeria one i mean the market speaks for itself you know when they're selling triple the price at resale i mean and selling out on nike.com in a day or whatever it was i mean that speaks for itself it's pretty sick pretty sick outfit I loved it. My white pasty ass can't wear it. It really works well if you got some uh, some tone to you. Um, if it was the Irish national team's jersey, I don't think it would work as well. But it worked well for Nigeria. They looked good in it. Um, I would hope in the tournaments and World Cups to come, Nigeria continues to bring the heat or i guess nike continues to bring the heat for nigeria because that jersey was sick again i can never wear it but either way that lime green one was on point and it was a representation of nigerian culture it wasn't just some arbitrary design um nike spent a good amount of time trying to nail it uh for the culture so i think they did a good job I mean, I don't know. By every measurable standard, they did a very good job, I guess. All right, number two. So this one might be a little biased, but I'm going to go with Japan. I'm part Japanese. I'm a quarter Japanese. I have a Japanese grandmother. She's my only living grandparent at this point. So I feel even more than 25% Japanese, even though I don't really look it. Um, But that blue Japan jersey brought the heat. It was... A little bit like the uh, the blue French jersey, um, but it had nicer detailing. The the shade of blue I thought was a little lighter and it looked a little nicer. Um, it was an Adidas jersey, and France I think is a Nike jersey, but there's something about it. There's a small little pattern that's printed all over the front of the jersey that mimics. Uh, sashiko stitching that's a japanese stitching technique that you see on traditional japanese garb um that was used for 
traditional outfits dating back to to the 15th century. Let me look that up real quick, actually. Um, I think it started in the 1600s, which would be the 15th century. Yeah, 15th century. Um, so it's kind of a an ode to a traditional Japanese stitching technique. And it, it just looks like embroidery, kind of like at the bottom of jeans, um, the stitching, the yellow stitching. Um, but they have that pattern all over the front of the jersey. It looks pretty sick. It gives it a little flare, but in a subtle way. That works really well to me. Um, they also have some pretty cool subtle logo designs in the inner neckline that um, is a representation of all the different logos on all five of the, I believe all five of the World Cups Japan's qualified for. So kind of just like showing the past of Japanese soccer tradition and yada, yada, yada. There isn't a whole lot. Japanese emergence in soccer really occurred in the late 90s. But uh, anyway, I thought it was a really classy, well-done kit, uniform, jersey. I guess it's America. Let's say jersey, damn it. All right, next up, number three. I'm going to go with the Belgium Away Kit, the yellow one. That one was sick. Um, I didn't really like the red one because of the pattern in the front. It had this like little diamond pattern. But that yellow one, there's not a whole lot going on with it, to be honest. It's pretty basic, but the color combination, the subtle patterns of stripes that basically are composed of two different tints of yellow, a dark one and a light one, the whole thing just goes together and works really well. And even though it was the font that all Adidas uniforms used, um, the font on the back with the numbering, kind of like the Jurassic Park logo, looked really nice. Um, I don't know, I just think it's a really classy looking uniform. The patch works too. I guess like the Belgian crest or whatever it is. whole thing works. They have the diamond pattern in the back too, but it's very small and up at the top, so it kind of works. Um, but just those red and black stripes contrasting with the yellow. It's just a really clean look. It's simplicity that works, which to me is, you know, that when it comes to design, you always want functional simplicity. And uh, this one really nails it, more so than her home jersey. So that's number three. So I got Nigeria 1, Japan 2, Belgium Away Kit 3. I think Japan's kit that I'm talking about is the home one, the blue. Number four, now I'm thinking about this one could possibly be two or three, but the team stunk, just shat the bed hard. So just for that, this jersey is going to get relegated to four, but it's the alternate Germany jersey. That one is sick. The the I guess it's teal, kind of like a teal aqua, yeah, teal, kind of like a like a green. That one is insane, and it's such a shame. That I don't even know if Germany got to even play. I think they played one game with it or something. But it is the cleanest uniform. It's so much better than the normal Germany uh, kits, the the white ones that they wear. The green one is so nice. And Germany sucked so bad that it might actually be my number... No, no, Nigeria's number one. But in terms of ones that I actually could wear, this one really might be number one. But fuck it. Number four. It's just as a punishment. 
And as an Arsenal fan, I'm just fed up with Mesut Ozil at this point. He just ship him, ship him the, the MLS for all I care. I am done with him. He played terrible. Germany played terrible and stunk it up, even though they had the sickest alternate jerseys in the entire World Cup. So they get the number four slot. Number five, I don't really know. Hmm. <laughs> number five. Maybe. I do like Columbia's jerseys a lot, even though I can't wear them. Um, yellow is not my color. But I do love those jerseys. But I don't know if it's number five for me because I might be biased because when you, I work in Queens. I work in Long Island City. And there's a heavy Colombian presence out there. So throughout the entire World Cup, when I was just walking around at lunch or whatever, there was just tons of people in Columbia jerseys. Um, and I felt like in when I'd go home to New Jersey, I'd also see tons. There's a lot of Colombians in New Jersey. So I'd see tons of people in Colombian jerseys. So I just kind of saw it everywhere, and maybe that's influencing my decision. But I don't know. I'm trying to think... Uh, France is alright, England's is alright, nothing amazing. Um, I like Argentina's and, and Uruguay's, but I don't know if... I like Colombia's more than either of those two. Um, Portugal has some nice ones, but not the ones that they actually... That's like their, their warm-up gear is really nice, but... What they played in this year, not so much. Spain, whatever. Eh. I'm going to go with Colombia, number five. At least if based on what I can think of right now. Can't think of anything better. Um, so, yeah, that rounds up my five best World Cup uniforms, or jerseys, I should say. So, to recap, one, Nigeria home. Two, Japan home, three, Belgium away, four, Germany alternate, five, Colombia home. And Colombia's aways are really nice, too. Both of them are nice. Colombia's a blue and orange jersey, but I'm going to go with the classic yellow multicolored joint. Back in the Carlos Valderrama days, those were hot, too. So that's my top five jerseys. All right, overall... I knew France was winning that shit. It was obvious. I love Croatia. I was rooting for Croatia. You know, get an upset. A nation that tiny winning the World Cup would be a big deal. But, man, after the England game, they looked done. They looked tired. Even though they gained strength in the second half of that game, by the end of it, man, they looked tired. And I knew they had nothing for France. France, it's interesting. They look really good. Pogba, Mbappe, all those guys look insanely talented. And usually teams that win the World Cup suck the next go-around. But I just have a hard time seeing them sucking. I mean, I don't know if they're going to win two in a row. But, like, they are stacked and they are not old. So it bodes well. And I saw this really, really cool short video on YouTube that Vox put out. uh, Vox Media. And they're actually killing it with the content these days. Vox has all these sub-channels on YouTube and they, just all kinds of really good stuff. But um, they did this whole video on France and their talent development in soccer. And 
France has the most overall players in the World Cup. So, so including players who have dual citizenship and decide to play for other teams, they have by far the most overall players. I think Brazil was next, but it wasn't even close. So the the whole theme of the video is talking about like why is this the case? I mean, it's nothing. It's not. It's not rocket science. Jesus fuck. I am. I am just awful. For fuck's sake, stop the corny dad jokes. Anyway, they had this video out about why they are so good at developing players. And basically, what happened was, post-World War II, when France was essentially destroyed, um, they hired tons of cheap laborers to rebuild France who were often immigrants from other countries. Lots of you know, East, Eastern European, Middle Eastern, South Africa. Uh, sorry, North African, like Algerian, Moroccan, etc., immigrants helped rebuild France and had families and settled in France. Uh, they settled often in areas called, I think, Benlius. I can't speak French at all, so if I said that horribly and by some chance someone that actually speaks French is listening to this, I'm sorry. But, yeah, I believe it's called Benlius, which means suburb, but it could also mean ghetto. Um... And that's where France scouts their talent in Benlieu's outside of Paris. They created a national academy system sometime in like the mid or late 70s because they sucked hard throughout the 60s and early 70s when it comes to qualifying for the World Cup, major European championships, etc. They just stunk it up. And the country decided to invest in their... In their uh, in their academy system and cultivating talent. So they started this academy system. Naturally, the best players were the ones that were porous and from other countries. So they brought them into the system. And eventually, you know, that's what led to them winning the World Cup in 98. And of course, as always, the old guard was pretty racist. Not like clans level racist, but like fairly racist and pretending they're not racist and just being like I just don't like it when they do the national anthem and the players don't know the words and blah blah like you know shit like that um yeah they're basically just racist but they got over it they won the world cup everyone's happy and they move on and now if you look at the French national team it's pretty obvious that a lot of their parents are not exactly um Napoleon descendants, if you know what I mean. And they're killing it. Because now they have guys like Mbappe who are 19 years old and are setting up to be the next big superstar of the sport and will be killing it for the next 10 to 15 years. So that is what happens when you invest in your country and get people resources for them to become great when they're hungry. Um, when I saw that video, it just made me think of the state of U.S. soccer these days and, like, all of these back and forth. I'm just going to get into it right now. Let's get into the U.S. soccer problem. Um, so obviously everyone knows U.S. didn't qualify, didn't play in this World Cup, probably hurt the ratings, whatever. But everyone's talking about it's easier to skate because when Germany won it, 
four years ago, everyone was like, well, Germany's great at scouting talent. It's a smaller country, and they know where the hotbeds are. Everyone knows where the hotbeds for talent are in the United States, all right? I, I am a fucking dork, uh, super dork, matter of fact, and one thing I like to follow is college football recruiting. So I follow, I pay money. That's how dorky I am. I pay $10 a month to read articles and go on message boards about my shitty college team, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, who are terrible, how they scout high school players. And anyone that's even a casual fan of this stuff knows where the best athletes are. They, everyone knows the best athletes are for football, American football, in Miami, Florida area and the surrounding counties. Uh all throughout the southeast, Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas is the next big one by far. Texas, South Florida, Texas, and California are the big three. And then after that, it's other southeastern states like Louisiana, Georgia, North Carolina, Mississippi, South Carolina, and then Pennsylvania and Ohio are big. And then uh, New Jersey, naturally. Lots of people. And the interesting one now is they're starting to emerge a little, but New York City is starting to emerge. New York City forever did not invest in football at public school, so a lot of schools didn't even have a football field. Therefore, they didn't have a team. Therefore, talented kids in New York City never could build their skill sets to get exposure to get college scholarships. Um, but now that's starting to change, and New York City is a sleeping giant in college football as far as talent goes. Um, they made a lot of great strides the past five, six, seven years. Still have some ways to go, but that's another place that's starting to emerge. There's other places as well. You know, any major city basically has sizable talent. Tennessee, outside of Nashville, and because the culture is so big in the southeast, the southeast tends to do very well with producing talent at the college level. But when it comes to soccer, it's not like, oh, how do we attack this and take over these talented athletes? You don't have to do that. Oh, and when it comes to basketball, it's almost the same thing. One area I've totally left out that I shouldn't have is Washington, D.C. area. That's a huge one, Baltimore, D.C. And when it comes to basketball, even more so, um, the DMV is a huge basketball hotbed along with New York City, Los Angeles, and for some reason, Florida produces a lot of good basketball players. But you just need to take a little bit from the football talent pool and the basketball talent pool. You don't need much. You need the guys who might not be good enough athletes to play high-level football at Ohio State or basketball at Duke, North Carolina, but are still very good athletes. Or, you know, they, they have the athleticism, but they don't have the height or they don't have the frame to put on weight. Because when it comes to scouting potential football players, a lot of it has to do with their skills, but not really. Like, you want them to be able to run, but they need to run and also have the frame to put on good weight and not lose and diminish their athleticism. That's like the whole game of college recruiting. It's like their skill set and their speed and their aggressiveness and their ability to like know where the play is going on the field and their agility and all that stuff. That's one bucket that you scout, and then the other bucket is just 
do they have the frame to play any positions at the college level and accelerate? Um, Because sometimes kids have the speed, but they're five foot five, five foot six, or sometimes they have the size to be like a tight end, but they run a 5.240 yard dash, and that's just too slow. So that's the whole game of football recruiting. Soccer recruiting, you don't need to be that specific. And basketball, by the way, is even worse. First of all, there's less basketball recruits. So I hate it when people are like, oh, we need to get NBA players like Russell Westbrook. No, you don't. No, you don't. Russell Westbrook, I think, is at least six foot two. You need the five foot six Russell Westbrook that Division I colleges don't even sniff at. That's who club soccer teams, U.S. soccer needs to scout and hope solo just recently said that soccer in the united states right now you know it's like a it's a white rich kid sport and she's absolutely right i mean i would say it's more like a white middle class to rich kid sport but regardless she's right on the money if you listen to soccer podcasts they go way more into detail than what i'm doing right now they all say the same thing like men in blazers you know you because it's hard Men in Blazers, their last episode actually put it in perspective. It's like, how do you expect middle-class white kids to go against kids in other countries with way less resources than the U.S., and there are kids that, whose alternative to playing soccer is to be in poverty? Like, how do you expect that to work out in the United States' favor? It's not. Period. It's not. This shit's easy to figure out. Um, and I'm just imagining, so this is like my dream scenario. My dream scenario, I don't know how many of you guys have seen the movie Blue Chips with Nick Nolte, where he shot, he like is this troubled college basketball coach and he has this dirty program and he's trying to turn around and he scouts the country and he scouts some like racist white guy from Indiana, but... I think he, like, turns the guy non-racist. I forget exactly what happens, but I remember the guy was, like, kind of racist at first. And then they scout Penny Hardaway, and then he goes to, like, somewhere in some underground, like, fucking ridiculous, like, swamp league where he goes to, like, he goes to the bayou in Louisiana or something. I can't exactly remember, and he finds Shaquille O'Neal playing at some rec league just like ripping the rim off basically and he's like i need that guy and then they like give him some tutor to get some passing test grade or you obviously like probably cheated on it or something anyway i just thought even when i saw that movie when i was a little kid that that was pretty fucking cool and i feel like that has to happen in the united states with soccer there has to be one person that scouts for players who knows what to look for, knows what potential is in, like, a young kid, and gets them into the club academies because the National Academy doesn't have the infrastructure and they don't have enough practices with the kids to really develop their skill set. It has to happen at the club level, and the club level needs to up-level their coaching. Um, And that's how you fix the problem. But they don't even need to go around the entire U.S. If they're worried about spreading their resources too thin. They can literally just pick a city or two. They can pick Los Angeles and New York or you know, Miami and New York or Los Angeles and Dallas or Los Angeles and Houston or something like that 
and just scout those cities through and through and find players and sell them on the idea of playing professional soccer because that's the other problem. The other problem right now is the idea of playing professionally is not appealing enough. Um, I saw some video with Odell Beckham Jr., New York Giants wide receiver, for those that don't watch the football. And Odell Beckham Jr. is a really good soccer player, and he grew up playing soccer. He had dreams of playing soccer professionally at one point, but then when he was teenager and he had to like really kind of hone in and pick a sport to specialize in and shit hit the fan he realized he knew to be the best soccer player in the world he'd have to move to Europe and then if he wanted to be a, a top football player or basketball player or whatever he could stay in the states and right now it's hard to sell soccer overseas as the dream I think for two reasons. One, that reason, you have to leave your family, although you have to do that for college anyway. I mean, there's kids all over the place going to California from New Jersey to go to college. So I don't think it's that crazy, to be honest. But selling it is weird because of the language gap, the culture gap, all that stuff. If you're someone who's never gone even to the other side of the United States, then your option is to go to France, learn French, and play soccer there. You know, that's going to be tough for a teenager if they're not exposed to that kind of culture beforehand. Like a Tim Weah, who's an 18-year-old on the U.S. national team, whose father is one of the best soccer players ever and played in France. Um, it's tough because there's tons of kids who grew up in these places that I'm talking about, you know, hood outside of Miami or whatever, and they want to play basketball and or they want to play football even and they go they get their d1 scholarship uh, they kill it on the d1 level and then when it comes to going to the nfl they don't have the size or they don't have the speed or they don't have this or they don't have that and then they wind up playing in the cfl in canada it's not a bad life to be playing football in canada the money isn't nfl money um but you know they're still making a living playing football you're playing you're making a decent living but they're settling for that. And what's funny is the monetary potential of playing soccer in Europe is unlimited. It's like playing the NFL or NBA here. You know, you can be the next Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, and you can make as much money as you want playing overseas. But it's still looked at now as almost like not making the NBA and having to play in Europe and settling. You know, the whole going to Europe thing is looked at as settling here in most cases. Not so much in soccer, but people aren't exposed to that. They don't know what it's like to live in Europe and see posters of Messi or Ronaldo everywhere. I doubt they even know how big those guys are, really. They know their names and everything. It's kind of like, I don't... I wonder, before basketball became a global sport... I don't know exactly when that happened, to be honest, but let's say, let's say you know, in the early 90s or whatever, let's say it became a global sport. Like, I wonder if a kid in France, you know, knew who Larry Bird was or Magic Johnson and knew how big of a deal they were or Isaiah Thomas in the United States or Michael Jordan, for that matter, even like before Michael Jordan became the brand that he is now. Um, I don't think so I really don't and I think that's kind of the struggle is they don't know even what to look at 
and by not knowing what to look at, the idea of playing soccer in Europe is less appealing, even though you can make a shit ton of money. So I think the thing to do is educate kids on that option, but also try to build up the MLS to be more respectable. But it's going to be slow because you have to recruit these players and develop them over generations for the MLS to be a more talented league. Because right now, you don't have to know shit about soccer. You can watch Arsenal versus Chelsea, and then you watch the Seattle Sounders versus Dallas FC, and it's going to be no contest in quality. It's like watching a college football game versus the NFL. Uh, Atmosphere aside, because college football is a way better atmosphere. But that's kind of my rant, man. I think we got to make soccer cooler i would if i was united states soccer or if i was the mls i would try to do some creative advertising with certain ad agencies where they partner with nike they partner with adidas they partner with these companies and do crossover ads with athletes from other sports i've seen a little bit of that here and there but not enough man not enough where soccer is the focal point. It's usually like LeBron and Ronaldo, like just like looking at each other real quick and then like smiling and doing some shit. Or like that Adidas commercial at the Play of the World Cup where you have like ASAP Ferg yelling like, creators create and all this stupid bullshit. And then there's like some street soccer game and then there's like one basketball player. Like, this shit crazy. They're just dumb. They're not authentic. They're just throwing celebrities in for the sake of celebrity and throwing the creative tag or creator tag on top of everybody. And then Pharrell's there at the end like, ha-ha, now you do it. Some bullshit. It has to be more authentic where you're shining a light on the game of soccer because that shit's cool. Man, those Brazilian kids in the favelas, the shit they're doing with the ball is awesome. It looks visually as appealing as anything in football or anything in basketball. Um, I just think there needs to be a concentrated effort to make that shit appealing to kids who are not currently playing it. Because it's the most played sport in childhood, and then kids just start playing other sports. When I was a kid, a lot of my friends were on the best travel soccer team in the county. And a lot of the ones that were into, like, street shit started to become ashamed that they were playing soccer. And that's the problem in a nutshell. They love soccer when they're little kids, little kids, little kids. And they start, like, listening to hip-hop and shit and start, you know, pretending they're the next fucking... At the time, Cameron, I guess, or Joel Santana, because I'm fucking old. And then soccer becomes unappealing to them, and then they stop playing. Or they play football if they can, and or basketball if they can. Or baseball, even. But to me, what validates the potential is they spent hundreds of hours, not thousands of hours, as kids playing the sport and obviously liking it. Because I remember... My one friend in particular, he loved it as a kid. And the love was genuine. You could really tell that it was the thing that made him happy as a kid. Um, So to me, it's a culture thing. It's an appeal thing. It's a culture thing. And I think it might be finally changing. Mostly because I think 
we're at the time where NFL was kind of the king of sports in America, and they're always going to be a force, I think. I don't think it's going away anytime soon, particularly in the South. Um, you know, football is everything down there. Like, there's this slogan, like, football's religion here or whatever. That shit is true. There is no hyperbole there whatsoever. But, you know, head traumas is kind of a big deal, you know? Getting brain damage is not fun for anybody. And the more reports coming out of, like, CTE and all this shit, the more I think soccer might have a chance. But it's going to take some sort of cultural movement to make that shit look cool, and it's going to take MLS academies, uh, U.S. soccer academies to stop just recruiting middle-class to rich white kids or kids who have privileged background and aren't white. I'm just being silly here, guys. Obviously, I don't mean only white kids. I feel like I gotta say that these days. Um, and actually, go to you know Broward County, Dade County, uh, Long Beach, you know South LA, West LA for that matter, any LA, um, New York City, New Jersey, but like not the rich parts of New Jersey, and start scouting these kids because these athletes 1000% are out there playing recreational games as kids and get no exposure don't have the resources to play on the traveling team or whatever and never develop and you know who knows how many messies the U.S. never developed but had available at one point so that's my rant on soccer it's frustrating man it really is I just hope, because I do think the young team talent right now on the current U.S. team has some potential. They look more talented and are further advanced at the early stages of their careers than prior generations that I think U.S. soccer is going in the right direction. But, man, if they could just scout some of these players, make this shit look cool, it would dump some rocket fuel on the whole process. And they need better coaching. Um, but that's changing. That's kind of a known issue right now. Yeah. So that's it. That's my thoughts on the World Cup, the state of U.S. soccer. Um, This isn't really a sports podcast per se, but I felt like a huge commonality between all this stuff is that these are cultural issues. World Cup on a global level, uh, the U.S. soccer thing on a more granular level when it comes to scouting athletics in the United States in this day and age and the state of it. I just felt like it would be a little fun thing to talk about. Anyway, uh, what else we got? Do a little... See, did I not say that there are fire trucks on this road? Every ep- I think every episode there's been a fire truck. Every single one. And I'm not hearing about crazy fires. There was one fire a couple months ago on the other side of Canal from where I lived. And shit looked like fucking Ladder 47 or whatever. It was crazy. They were shooting water cannons um, from the from the river or from the the bay, I should say. Anyway, current events. What's going on? Pusha T in the news again. He uh, he's coming out with an app geared towards, and I quote: "This is a Blavity article, rewarding fans for their reactions to album reports." Billboard. So it's like a music app where. Fans listen to music and they give it like a thumbs up or thumbs down. 
the skull or fire emoji representing whether the founding album is good or bad. Um, if a user's choice coincides with the majority of others' opinions, they are awarded a cryptocurrency called Crown. As a user's crown points accumulate, they are open to cashing out for real money or using points to buy prizes, such as access to an artist tour or record releases. So this is an article based on Complex. So this guy, this publication is just lifting a Complex article. But I don't know, man. I did an episode about Akon trying to make a crypto city without any details ironed out whatsoever. I hear this thing. If they're just using it as some sort of financial basis to create real prizes, that's fine. Um, but people just got to stop making fucking tokens at this point. This idea of like having all these different types of tokens and not having it be just the winners of this crypto bubble we're in right now is just so silly to me. Like, are people really going to keep track of a hundred different types of coins that they have? No. So if it's just within the system of the app, if it's just within the environment, kind of like, uh, coins in pokemon go or something then that's fine and if the back end is just handling it as cryptocurrency sure that's fine but if to make it another token people have to keep track of if that's the case and market it as another cryptocurrency and try to get that shit on exchanges like binance i hope that's not the case man because it's just it's jumping the shark when you have multiple rat like not even multiple um I think, like, Ghostface Killa might have had one. And I forget, some other rappers had them too. But uh point is, when multiple rappers are coming out with their own cryptocurrency, cryptocurrencies jump the shark, and this shit needs to strain itself out and have the winning coins be the winners and have the applications use those winning coins, not their own proprietary coin that they're probably using just to raise money in an ICO. That's my take on it. But, I mean, hey, if the app works, it works. I mean, it seems pretty simple. Sometimes simple concepts win the crypto side, the crypto part aside. Um, Pusha T's a smart dude. I've always been impressed with him. I always think he's a smart guy. Uh, makes good decisions, good rapper. Love the clips. Hell Hath No Fury, one of my top 5 to 10 hip-hop albums of all time, I would say. And Daytona was pretty good, too. I liked it. Anyway, that's my take on that. Less coins, more applications using the same coins, please. Oh, also, Stranger Things dropped a teaser today for season three. It's pretty dope. It's just it's just a uh, commercial, like an 80s-style TV commercial about some mall, like a local community mall opening up. And they got Steve in it. He's working an ice cream stand, and they got some new characters. It looks like the plot line for the next season or a heavy heavy setting in the next season is going to be this mall probably a gateway to the upside down or some shit but a fresh take on a teaser doesn't really reveal much other than the mall itself um but i heard it's coming out later this year last year it came out on halloween i think this year it's coming out like middle of winter like around christmas time or january or something I'm not really sure the exact date, but it seems like it's later this year, which sucks. And my other thing that sucks about Stranger Things is I binge watch it, and I have all this hype, all this anticipation, and it's done in one or two days. That's why I'm thinking this this Netflix model of releasing all the shows at once isn't sustainable. 
A lot of people will think I'm crazy for that, but I don't know. It just doesn't feel right to me. Every time I binge watch something on Netflix, I always just feel satisfied for the most part, but a little disappointed that I'm like, that's it? Um, I know as of now, everyone's happy with the binge watching model. I don't think it's changing anytime soon, but I do think it will eventually change. Bold prediction. But not that bold because I've heard it on other people's podcasts, even though I've been talking about it for a long time privately. Um, I just think it's not something people are going to like forever. Eventually, they're not going to probably outright say it, but behaviorally speaking, I think in Netflix's analytics at some point, it's going to point to people not wanting to binge watch. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that data would look like, but I think it's a matter of time before it happens. But it'll be a while. It'll be years, I think. But it'll happen at some point. Just a prediction. Um, What else? Oh, today's Amazon Prime Day, and it was a disaster, so I hear. I was at work all day, and uh, I didn't really have time to look at any deals, but supposedly no one did because the landing page was down for a long time. Um... Amazon's been, I have Prime, and Amazon's been emailing me about it for a few weeks now, so sucks for them. Yeah, Prime Day was a flop, I guess. Um, Landing page didn't work. The workaround is to use their smile.amazon.com site, uh, according to TechCrunch. A little article I read, if you do the smile URL, you're good. Do regular Amazon. Yeah, get a broken site. What else? Kind of a slow week this week. Oh, speaking of soccer, yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo going to Juventus. I doubt many American listeners care, but in Europa, it's a big deal, man. He's losing, he's, it's like going from the Yankees to the Dodgers, I guess. I don't know. It's probably a terrible comparison. Um, but yeah, he went to Juventus, left Real Madrid after winning another title this year. So from what I read, the reason why he left was he was just beefing for years with the president. Had to do with, um, at some point, his contract got renegotiated and they kept him waiting and Messi got a new contract and he was stuck with his old contract, something like that. And he just wanted to leave. He didn't feel wanted. Felt like it was a personal thing. That's what the soccer tabloids in Europe are at least saying. And now he's in Juventus, in northern Italy, in Turin, Italy, in Piedmont. Uh, Juventus is the biggest team in Italy right now. So they're like a monster. They're going to kill it in Serie A. He'll win a league title for sure, and they'll be big players in Champions League, Euro Cup, all that stuff. Um So yeah, LeBron goes to the Lakers, Ronaldo goes to Juventus. Those are both two teams I never thought either one of those guys would wind up in, so it's interesting. Um, I just wonder if these are the last teams in their careers or not. But we shall see. I'm at 54 minutes right now on this thing, so that's way over usually what I do. So I'm going to wrap this up now. Um, Thanks, guys, for listening. If you haven't, check me out on DeGram, username NRS underscore show. That's NRS underscore show, all lowercase. If you want to email me for any reason, 
please hit me up. The email address is not rocket science show. All just not rocket science show. No periods or anything. Um, at Gmail, not rocket science show at gmail dot com. Instagram nrs underscore show. Twitter, I believe, is also nrs underscore show. I should really change the Gmail. I think I did the Gmail first and. By doing that, I realized that's way too long of a string of words, so that's why I chopped it down onto Graham and Twitter. But uh, hit me up on any of those medias of social. Uh, if you have any ideas, any suggestions, hate me, want to be a hater, love haters, anything you want to do. Um, that's where you can reach me. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it so much. I'll eventually do a giveaway or something. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to keep growing this thing and taking it one step at a time. All right, guys, it's hot as hell in here. I got to turn the AC on or I'm going to melt. Thanks. Have a good week. Take it easy. Peace. Peace.